today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. I want to talk water quality. And, of course, it was front and center uh, in Texas this week uh, after the, the massive winter storm that shut down power. And, and the main concern, of course, was uh, was drinking water in many other situations. And I know that an awful lot of people on this side of the border looked at it and said, yeah, well, it's been a problem here for long, long time. Well, uh, there's uh, some reporting that has gone on on this right now, an investigation by a consortium including Global News, APTN News, and journalism students at the University of King's College, led by Concordia University Institute, have investigated water quality among First Nations, and uh, especially out in the uh, the Maritime Provinces, uh, with some rather disturbing results. But uh, again, a story that we need to talk about uh, to get a whole picture as to what's happening in this particular country. And to do that, uh, we're pleased to welcome to the program Mike D'Souza. Mike is an investigative journalist with Global News in Toronto. Mike, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Yeah, good morning. I, I think a lot of us maybe have a cursory knowledge, Mike, about, yeah, 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 First Nations, especially in, uh, in, in some of those communities, problems with drinking water. I know that uh, the late Gord Downey, of course, from the Tragically Hip made that a, a cause for him. Uh, we talk about it an awful lot, and then we kind of push it aside and get on with other things in our lives, uh, which is why it was so important for, for this, this report to happen. Let's talk a little bit about the, the findings. Yeah, and it's not just in the Maritimes. It, it, it is from coast to coast yeah. to coast that we, we looked at First Nations across the country, um, university or journalism students also from across the country. Uh, that that started this by doing a survey. Um, you know, the federal government has some data that it releases and it, it provides information about long-term boil water advisories. We dug deeper, and so uh, we did in-depth interviews, like interviews we're talking about, you know, with more than an hour uh, spent with water operators across the country, 122 that we managed to reach. And in more than half of the cases, uh, the water operators we were speaking to, these are the people who are on the front lines working in the treatment plants in the First Nations, they were identifying at least one issue or probably more than one issue that would affect water quality, whether it's defective construction practices, whether it's uh, failing backup systems, um, whether it's uh, presence of toxins or lack of knowledge or testing about potential toxins. So a lot more areas than, than we would think and going even beyond the, the indicators that the federal government itself uh, uses to measure drinking water quality on First Nations. And the other thing that we found is that the policies, I mean, this issue uh, we hear year after year that the federal government is investing billions of dollars or has mm-hmm. invested. This is about more than just money. Um, this is also about the the long-standing policies that that have existed in Canada for for decades or perhaps even more than 100 years, where you have a number of uh, First Nations that don't have control over how to make decisions. Um, They are dependent on old systems where the government tells them how to fix things, and then you end up having solutions that don't always work. Uh, so, for example, uh, construction uh, contractors, uh, when when First Nations want to hire a contractor, there are certain policies that exist within the federal government that requires them to take the lowest bidder and not necessarily choosing the best contractor for the job. And that is one of the issues or one of the key areas where a number of First Nations have run into problems because they've been forced to take contractors who underestimate the cost and then slap them with uh, 
extras, overcharges, Mm -hmm. uh, there are delays, construction problems, and then it winds up costing even more. And they don't have, they haven't fixed uh, the drinking water quality problem that they had in the first place. Mike, is it tested on a regular basis, the, the water quality in these communities? Um, there is testing. There are standards. Um, it's, it's, it's not entirely clear whether it's sufficient. Um, it's not entirely clear based on the interviews we were doing about the, the, the quality and standard of testing. Um, you know, another, another issue that we saw is that the federal government doesn't actually collect uh, any data in a systematic way about health issues. So they have no way of measuring or telling if, if there are people developing health uh, health issues or sicknesses or illnesses related to the water that they are drinking. So uh, there's a whole absence of, of tracking here. Um, and it's traced back. I mean, it's not it's not the fault of the First Nations. They they are living under the, the conditions that were created sure. or imposed on them. And it's it's federal policies that we found largely that are responsible for not measuring and tracking exactly what the problem is. I, I mean, we've seen this happen tragically. I guess the one that comes to mind for everybody is going to be Walkerton, of course, a number of years ago here in Ontario, uh, and the tragedy that happened in that community. And, and but, but as soon as those numbers started to rise, I mean, the government acted quickly on that and said, okay, we got to do something about this. And, of course, there was, a, there was the inquiry that resulted in that, of course. Uh they know what the problem is here. I mean, it's not as if this is news to, to the government. Yet, they, as you say, they poured money into this. They commit money to it anyway. And it still doesn't seem to be uh, getting any better. I mean, that is, is that the perception that these people are feeling? Is that, that you know, you guys are talking the talk, but, you know, we're in the same precarious position we've been in for years. Yeah, we, we've heard some of that. Now, um, they they do, in, in some of the interviews we did, they, they did dis- distinguish that, some of them talk about at least now that they are having uh, they are having meetings and discussions that are at least open communication with government. Uh, there there were some some that that told us that uh, during during the years before 2015 during during the Harper government years there there were some periods where they didn't have any contact at all with government. So there there is some sort of openness and there's some discussions, but there's a lot of work to do to fix these policies and in some cases like you know the example i gave about the having to go with the lowest bidder um a bunch of chiefs told us that they they had to go with the lowest bidder and and pick a contractor that had a had a track record of of some problems and 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 conflicts um and when we interviewed the minister the minister didn't seem to know that this policy existed so uh, there's some effort to fix the issue but um you know, in some cases, maybe there is long-standing practices in the public service um, that are very difficult to change. It takes probably, uh, based on what we what we saw, it, it probably is going to take very strong political leadership to bring about and 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 impose the change that is needed, at least in the public service. Um, there's openness to to have more partnerships and to work more collaboratively. Um, in Atlantic Canada, there's a new model. There's a new First w- uh, Nations Water Authority uh, initiative that is hoping to to help introduce locally um, initiated solutions and decision making at the First Nations level themselves. Um, this could be a model in a couple of years that helps. Uh, that 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 can be spread or that can be adopted in other First Nations across the country. 
In that situation, Mike, I, I wanted to ask you about that because uh, I'm hearing, uh, especially in the Maritimes, uh, that they're having trouble holding on to staff. Uh, you, know, you have to be trained to do these sorts of things, obviously. There's a, a protocol that has to be followed. Uh, but they're underpaid, and it's very difficult, I guess, for, the, for, the, to, to, for them to retain a lot of these staff. They, go to the, uh, uh, they can go to a city you know, 10 miles down the road and make a lot more money than they're making in this particular situation. I'm assuming that's under the purview of the federal government, is it not, the, the salaries and the money that goes into these operations? Um, yeah, so the, the operations and, and maintenance budget has been underfunded. It's based on outdated funding formulas uh, that, that we found in some cases haven't been updated since the 1990s. Uh, so there is more flexibility for operating budgets and, and maintenance for municipalities. First Nations are in a different boat. They have different rules and, 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 and bureaucracy to get through to get the funding they needed. So from coast to coast, what it what it what it amounts to is that we found nearly seventy percent of the the water operators we surveyed were making less than the median wage of their profession in their respective provinces. So every province uh, that we surveyed, we found this. More than half of the First Nations water operators, um, in some cases, you have just one or two that are that are in charge of an entire plant. They're on call 24-7 in more than half the cases. Uh, one out of three were making lower than the lowest wage for, for their profession in, in the province, according to, to what the federal government estimates is, is the lowest wage. And there were 7% of those we, we uh, interviewed who said they were making less than $14 an hour, if you can imagine that. So uh, in, in non-Indigenous communities, people are making up to $40 an hour for similar roles. So uh, there, is, there is certainly a disparity and an inequality that's existing here between uh, what's going on in First Nations and what's going on in non-Indigenous communities across the country. Yeah, I mean, the report I'd seen was from Halifax, so I guess that's why they were centering on what was happening in the Maritimes. I was not aware that it's a, actually a nationwide problem. That's 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 frustrating. It's got to be uh, awfully frustrating for the people involved. And you mentioned the fact that they're on call 24 hours. If they, if they have inferior infrastructure, and, and many of them do, as you reported, uh, they're getting called 24 hours a day, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And uh, there, there was one person uh, we interviewed, a water operator in Saskatchewan, for example, uh, who works in the Musiman First Nation um, in, in, in that province. Um, he actually, he works as a water operator in his own home nation, but he has a second job as a water operator in North Battleford. Um, he gets paid more in North Battleford than he does in his own nation. He keeps doing the job in his own nation. Uh, so he handles two jobs because he wants to serve his own nation. But, you know, that, that, that example is just one of, of many uh, pretty startling and stunning stories we've heard from coast to coast. I mean, we hear stories from time to time because of uh, weather anomalies or maybe some people that are on well water and, the, you know, there would be a boiled water advisory that goes out. And we think that's horrific and it may be there for three or four days. Uh, in some of these communities that, that you've studied, this has been going on for years. I mean, they've been constantly under a boiled water advisory. Yeah, and, and, and the most uh, the most striking example is Nishkandiga First Nation in, in northwestern uh, Ontario, a few hundred kilometers to the north of Thunder Bay. They've been under a long-term boil water advisory for 26 years now. Um, so there's people who have grown up who have never been able to open up the tap and, and, and drink the water. And as, as you might recall, over the fall, 
um, this entire community had to be evacuated to Thunder Bay mm-hmm. in the middle of the pandemic because of a problem in their water treatment plant where again, you know, there there's construction underway. It was supposed to be fixed and there were, there were problems with, with the construction, with the contractor, uh, the contractor was asked to leave. They have a new contractor now. So um, there are, yeah, many, many startling examples. And that's also, um, you know, for, for your listeners online, uh, you can, you can, they can hear more about that in the, um, the documentary that we put together for, for the new reality uh, that aired over the weekend and is, uh, is available online. Uh, that, that entire story uh, from start to finish is quite tragic. Mike, how frustrating must it be for the people in these communities that uh, this is is not front and center for an awful lot of people? I mean, great work that you guys have done on this, and I'm hoping that it's going to raise consciousness about this. But it it really comes down, as you guys mentioned, to political will, and and it, it just doesn't seem to be there. I mean, they do have their champions. I know that uh, you know there are there are a few people in Parliament that will raise this issue, and and I'm sure they're sincere about it. But it doesn't seem to to, to get any momentum. Yeah, clearly they're they're frustrated. They, um, you know, a word that we heard quite often is 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 is, is this racism. Uh, why is it that um, in 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 these communities, uh, the people say in in these communities pretty consistently, we we have to put up with this. We have to put up with 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 the government deciding um, you're not going to have a backup system uh, to to your power to your water plant. So if the power goes out. Yeah, you suddenly your your access to water is cut off, and yet a couple a couple of kilometers away, you might have a a non-indigenous community that gets a multi-million dollar uh, state-of-the-art water treatment plant, and 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 they're asked to put up with with something that is clearly not. So, yes, there's there's certainly a lot of frustration um, when they want to propose solutions. They also say they get treated differently. That you know, we we spoke to one. Uh, one band manager who was saying that he can propose solutions. Um, the federal government, Indigenous Services Canada, will will say no up until the point that he goes out and hires a non-Indigenous consultant to say the same thing, put it on corporate letterhead, and then suddenly the federal government says, "Okay, yeah, well, this is a good plan. Well, where where do we where do we send the funding?" So. Um, there is certainly a lot of frustration. The numbers in terms of long-term boil water advisories over the past few years, that has gone down. So that's one indicator where mm-hmm. there's some signs of progress. But again, a lot more work to do to fully address all of the systemic problems that exist within the system. Well, which is exactly why this report is so uh, important. And uh, I'd like everybody to get eyes on it. Is it on the Global News webpage? Yes. Yes, um, part of the Clean Water Broken Promises series. So we have, uh, you know, we've been working with a number of partners uh, across the country, including APTN News, as you mentioned off the top, mm-hmm. uh, the Institute for Investigative Journalism, uh, which, which led our research on this and led the surveys. Uh, and there's, yeah, over 30 different uh, reports that we've put together, and you can, you can find about, uh, about a, close to a dozen or so uh, within the next week that'll, that'll be popping up on the globalnews.ca website. Excellent. We'll encourage our listeners to do just that. Mike, great work on this. Uh, you and all your colleagues, thanks so much for the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care. Mike D'Souza, of course, investigative journalist with Global News, and check that out on the Global News webpage. Uh, as Mike says, lots of information there. and stuff that we need to address, and the government certainly needs to address. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.